Hey, Jacob, you there? Yeah, I'm in. I'm here. Well, no welcome problem. to this edition of V Radio. Um, today we're going to talk a little bit about the origin of the Constitution um, and more specifically about the fact that uh, 
in American history, things were not really that different than the way they are now. You may be a little shocked to find out about what really went into the Constitution. I'm also going to reiterate a little bit more, since I've had a chance to do a little bit more research, into what exactly the mathematics of our republic is in regards to majoritarian versus minority rule. But first, I'd like to give a few messages from some libertarians on the subject of the National Initiative. seems as though the North Virginia Patriots have lost their memory when it comes to Christine Smith's position on the National Initiative for Democracy. Fortunately enough, they've happened to have their shows archived on blogtalkradio.com. Here's what Christine Smith had to say about the National Initiative. Look, what do you think about the National Initiative for Democracy concept? I have to tell you, reading Senator Gravel's book, I had the uh, pleasure of meeting him uh, at one of our debates, and I had the pleasure of debating him, which I uh, thoroughly enjoyed. Uh, was a very unique uh, idea that he's expressing. And I have to say, with the years of service that he has given us and with his uh, reputation for exposure of uh, corruption, which all Americans uh, should respect, uh, I took the book very seriously, read it very carefully. And uh, the National Initiative, at this point in my life, I am feeling very discouraged about how we are operating. I believe in restoring the republic. I think what what it was uh, intended to be is a wonderful idea, but I remember when uh, Benjamin Franklin said, we've given you a republic if you can keep it. We do not have representative government, and Senator Gravel makes that point excellently in his book and from his experience. All we need to look around and we see we don't have representative government. We have politicians in the Senate and the Congress. They don't represent us any longer. And uh, after reading uh, Gravel's initiative, I uh, decided to put a little study into the Swiss example and I found it wasn't just uh, the Swiss, but even the Germans, uh, and I'm German-Irish, uh, are, are actually looking toward the national initiative so that people, the power would come back to the people. And I think if we did such what he is proposing along with representative government, I believe that it could complement one another. And right now, I am at a point in my life, I'm much younger than he is, I have uh, a lot of hope for America. Um, I, because, well, actually because of how many people I've seen supporting Dr. Pye, I feel that there's hope. And yet, when I look at it, what is going to be accomplished unless we completely get liberty-minded politicians in that Senate and Congress? And you and I both know the tables are stacked because those two parties control um, against the third-party candidate. Uh, I do believe uh, in miracles, and I mean that, that anything is possible. But right now, I am at a point where I think that what he is proposing, as I uh, believe I understand it, uh, sounds like a good idea to give more power to the people to create law. Because right now, those who are uh, creating the laws are uh, executing those uh, unjustly and unconstitutionally against the American people. How else are the people going to take control uh, again? Because big money controls it, and incumbents control it. And I like the idea because as I read it, it would seem that it would, would, would have prevented uh, our unjust invasion of Iraq if we had had a national initiative. Uh, the American people did not want this. Uh, it could prevent uh, catastrophes like we see going on right now. So right now, uh, yes, I, uh, uh, I find it very intriguing, and I like it. Well, here you have it, people. Um, once again, brought to you by the North Virginia Patriots, who endorsed Christine Smith for president yet for some reason, reluctantly, or maybe on purpose, try to forget the fact that Christine Smith does in fact support the National Initiative for Democracy.
still playing around with the old media? The works we play, we don't even know. Are CNN and Fox any better online than they are on TV? You're right. I could have told you that. Afraid so. I can't compete with you physically, and you're no match for my brain. In this corner, the old media. It's a piece of crap that doesn't work. And in this corner, the world champion, Revolution Broadcasting. Don't forget to visit www.revolutionbroadcasting.com for the very best in news and commentary on the issues of the fight for freedom. Unfortunately, the free press ain't free. So if you like what you're hearing here at revolutionbroadcasting.com, don't forget to throw us a little chicken. Congress prepared to vote to pass the Military Commissions Act to reauthorize the U.S. Patriot both which have embraced the freedoms we cherish. It is for this very reason we are losing our freedoms. I'm Brian Green, independent candidate for Congress, and I approve this message. In Congress, I'll fight to protect the Constitution and to ensure limited constitutional government. Visit Brian Green, the Freedom Factor, at com. Senator Gravel's update to his classic biting commentary on today's society, citizen power, is a sobering assessment of today's woes. More troubling is the fact that little has changed since Gravel first put pen to paper 36 years ago. In fact, according to Gravel, in most cases the problems have only gotten worse. Gravel writes, most Americans today are frustrated and confused. They are told by everyone that they are the richest people in the world and the world's freest nation, yet they see poverty in the midst of plenty and continued erosion of their civil liberties. People are tired of liberal promises and conservative game plans which offer the rhetoric of hope but in reality merely protect and perpetuate the status quo. Now the people want to be in power. Support Senator Gravel in his efforts not only to clean up Washington, but to give you the power to build a better nation. Get your copy of Citizen Power now at citizen-power.us. I'm Dr. Murray Sabrin, and I approve this message to legalize freedom. While our nation's at war and our economy staggers, we need conservative solutions to these serious problems. Here is the Sabrin solution. First, we must secure our borders from foreign terrorists and illegal immigrants. Next, we must secure our economic well-being by getting government off our backs and out of our wallets. And finally, we must secure a first-class education for our children. I'm running for the United States Senate from New Jersey. Please join me at murraysabrin.com. Chris Sire laying it down for Revolution Broadcasting. I'm running for Congress in Nevada District 1. If you want freedom, better vote for me, son. A bloated government is losing its clout like Gwen Stefani. I have no doubt in guns and butter overseas. Believe us eating macaroni and cheese. These beats are stale and my rhymes are thin. Donate to my campaign and I'll never rap again. Now pay attention because I'll only say it once. I'm down with Ron Paul and I'm down with Paul once. David Isbell lays the track. Kelvin Atkinson is Now let's bring down the evil empire. Open up your wallet and donate to Chris Dyer. Peace, 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 peace. Yo, 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 bring that beat back. I want to shout some holler down. Hey, GOP, what's up, party people? Props to Arden Osborne in the NLA. Daily Paul, down with you. Andy Deemers, Jim Forsyth, all the sneaky hippies in New Hampshire. Las Vegas, Peter. Neo at ronpaulchat.net. Good to 
Chris Robertson, Andrew Brownson, all my homies at the GOP. I'm Chris Dyer, and I approve this message. <laughs> hey, Jacob, you still there? <clears throat> well, maybe not, unless he's just muted still. Well, anyway, uh, today we're going to talk more, as I said, about the subject of uh, the concept of the math behind uh, democracy versus uh what we have now, and uh, I'd like to point something out to some of the people involved because they they kind of run down the, the wrong road when it comes to this issue. But uh, first of all, a lot of libertarians don't like the concept of referendum because they're concerned that 51% of the populace are going to tell 49% of the populace what to do. Recently, I worked out the math on um, exactly how this translates. Now. What this translates to is, just for those of you who didn't hear it earlier, although I've added another number to it, representative government as we have it now, mind you, that we also need to consider that this number is completely diluted by the fact that other than like two congressmen, I can't think of anybody uh, who has been elected in the representative system who did not accept large quantities of money from special interests, okay? And special interests bring us wonderful things like the Patriot Act and the Iraq War um, and our health care systems and all kinds of garbage. Special interests love programs that give taxpayers money to themselves. And so, therefore, it's a good investment for them to turn around and then donate to um, you know, politicians who then, in turn, represent those special interests once they get elected. So this, this fraction of the populace that I'm about ready to quote is further diluted by the fact that if you wanted to actually look at like the percentage of this percentage of people who are actually representing the people, you'd probably be looking at about, uh, well, less than a point. <laughs> but out with the math, 0.000176% of the American population elected with money, I might add, from special interests in most cases, tell... 99.999% what to do. And somehow, this is supposed to be superior to the unlikely equation of 51% telling 49% what to do. And the 51%, I might add, as unlikely as it is that anything is going to be 51-49, okay, is not generally influenced directly by special interests, at least not in a referendum as Mike Gravel proposes. So, once again... Just to clear the air, we are looking at 100,000th of the population dictating, well, mind you, dictated to by the special interests who give them the campaign funds to get elected in the first place. They get to dictate to us what our policies will be, as in the 99.999% of the rest of the population, bought and paid for by corporate interests. And we wonder why our economy sucks. And we wonder why the rich get richer and the poor get poorer. And we wonder why we're still in a war that we really shouldn't be in. And we wonder why our civil liberties are being eroded. Because our civil liberties are in the way of the fascist regime that would like to take over our country. Our civil liberties, our ability to protest, our ability to tell the government we don't like what they're doing. The Homegrown Terrorism Act threatens all of these things. But don't worry, guys. We're all safe because the conservatives want to get rid of things like food stamps and health care, which, mind you, I don't agree with either, but 
you know, we're safe now because our taxpayers' dollars aren't, be taken, aren't being taken. However, we're not safe because our ability to argue about it is seriously in jeopardy. So, once again, um, I use this math to point out something because they use math to argue against it. I don't think they've really considered the math that argues for it. Other than Dennis Kucinich and Ron Paul, I can't think of a single member of the current government that I trust. There are some people that I trust a little bit, maybe on one answer, maybe not on another. And we talk about how we're going to hold these people accountable, but the fact is, we can't. One thing that we will never be able to do, as much as we would like to, is we are never going to be able to affect the outcomes of congressional and Senate elections more than special interests. The people who have all the money get to pick who is in Congress and who becomes president. It's that simple. And you know why it's like that? Because as Senator Gravel points out in Citizen Power, Chapter 12, the system favors elites because it was designed by elites to protect the elites. All of these things that we're talking about now, they are not new. The system was designed to protect these things. The system was designed specifically for the purpose of ensuring that those with the money and the influence would always control our government. And they gave the rest of us this illusion, and they said it was a democracy to try to make us more willing to get involved with it in those early stages. If you remember the earlier days of the colonial times, once again, in the colonial times, things were decided by majority vote. It is possible that some minority might be overcome, and that's one of the reasons why the National Initiative for Democracy cannot alter your constitutional rights. The Supreme Court can still deem a referendum unconstitutional. This is a little factor that people tend to keep out of their minds. When they're talking about the NI4D, they usually don't actually know what they're talking about. They talk about direct democracy. The NI4D is not direct democracy. What it is, however, is a referendum system added to our republic. And as Christine Smith pointed out, that the two would complement one another. Our leaders would actually be held accountable, particularly when you consider the different things that referendums could do. Referendums could recall existing politicians, as in we can fire them, and we absolutely should be able to fire them. But right now we can't. The most we can do is hopefully elect someone else. But that obviously isn't working. Okay? When some, you know, there is no reason why we, essentially the bosses, we are the senior shareholders in this government, should have to suffer through another four years of some idiot that is the only person that we ever got any exposure for. You know, one of the best ways to combat the fact that people get elected based on lies is that we can fire them with a referendum. We can recall them with a referendum if for some reason they lie to us. If they get in office and they, do what they, you know, they don't do what they said they were going to do, we fire them. It's that simple. And that makes them accountable to the people because right now they're accountable to no one. We have this illusion that tells us that we, in theory, might be able to actually change things. We have this illusion that tells us that. But I think the Ron Paul revolution proves more than ever, okay, that we do not have as much control over this as we think, period. Now, I talk more, once again, I go back to Chapter 12 of Citizen Power to bring up a very important point. The chapter is entitled, Who Stole the American Dream? Now, I'm going to go skip ahead to the part where it talks about um, the Constitution. 
When the constitutional framers met in Philadelphia, their options in designing our new government were unduly influenced by the fact that the 13 Confederate states, all independently sovereign, were in the process of falling apart internally and as a confederation. The convention delegates were the wealthy elites of those states. Any loss of civic cohesion would directly affect their personal property. Their initial preference for the structure of a new government, derived from the successful colonial experience with the town meeting system of governance, should have produced an amalgam of representative and direct citizen involvement in government. Unfortunately, the power of slavery gripped the convention's proceedings, holding hostage any possible, tr possible truly democratic success. Compounding the tragedy the framers were about to initiate was the fact that probably the best opportunity to rid the nation of the scourge of slavery was the period from the secession of the Revolutionary War, hostilities in 1781 to the beginning of the Philadelphia Convention in May 1787. Free blacks and slaves had fought in the Revolutionary War in numbers that exceeded their demographic distribution, and King Cotton had yet, take, yet to take command of the Deep South with Eli Whitney's gin. Blacks had, blacks had earned their piece of the dream. I believe that, that the point at which the American dream of freedom was eclipsed was when the delegates to the convention failed to keep faith with the principles of the Declaration of Independence articulated 11 years earlier. That declaration was the dream, the vision, all men are created equal. Delegate John Rutledge of South Carolina, backed by the delegates of Georgia, blackmailed James Madison, the architect of the convention, and the rest of the delegates into accepting slavery as the price for their states joining the new government. That's right, people. The elites. The elites manipulated the system to protect their rights to own other human beings. That's the reason we have the system that we have. Because elites wanted to maintain their hold and their right to own other human beings for personal profit. It's that simple. The framers compromised the moral principles articulated in the Declaration of Independence and made a deal with the devil in order to unify a new nation and prevent the certain collapse of the Confederate states that threatened their personal wealth and power. The legacy of slavery plagues us to this day. Repeated generational transfers of cruel and human norms of conduct toward fellow humans, rationalized by Holy Scripture, have damaged the American psyche beyond repair. We are a violent people, still sustained by religious fervor, and we wonder why. Basically, what we're looking at here is that, essentially, the elites who created our Constitution wanted to maintain their control. It's just another example of, essentially, the new aristocracy, the new nobility, wanted to have their control over our system of government. And, the, the, you know, the other thing I think that is really important here that I don't think most people understand is that this system, the system that people, you know, basically protect now, it doesn't really help us. We have proof. If you want to see the proof, okay, look very closely at American policy, not just now, but from the beginning. Not that long after we had founded the country, there was talk about invading Canada because we wanted to expand into another country. We wanted to take what belonged to other people. These are things that are not that far away from our founding fathers. Our founding fathers, some of which were great, okay, Ben Franklin, as it points out here, acted to try to stop slavery, but he, was, but he was thwarted by representative government. He was thwarted by the elites who were empowered to do this because the people could not act. And when given the opportunity to act, this is the reason we don't have it. When they tried to, when they tried to um, ratify the Constitution by majority in one of the states, the majority of the people wouldn't approve it because it had slavery in it. So that's why they took the rights of the people away. 
They took the rights of majoritarian rule at this point away because the minority wanted to protect the elites. The constitutional framers, the elites of their day, created a system of representative government that held a monopoly of legislative power that facilitated policies that shame us to this day. Regardless of how much we praise our form of government, it cannot by any stretch of the imagination be called egalitarian or democratic. Our constitution, creating a structure of representative government, favors elites simply because it was written by elites. And of course, they did not fail to provide for continuity of their own power by establishing procedures whereby they could amend the Constitution with Article 5 and make laws with Article 7. Our Constitution has been extensively copied around the world. Obviously, the structure of representative government does not threaten other elites governing foreign societies. The framers wrote a document that defined the first constitutional representative government in history. Representative government has since been the norm in all democracies except Switzerland, which copied our Constitution but added one very powerful change which represents the next step in the evolution of democracy. The Swiss Constitution, written in 1848, added the people as lawmakers, creating a very successful governing partnership with their elected officials. This was the intended road, but the one not taken by the framers of the American Constitution. The framers had to exclude the people from the ratification process in order to secure the ratification of their flawed constitution. They had a daunting task. They had to avoid a vote in the Confederate Congress, where the Constitution would likely not have been ratified. Similarly, they had to avoid votes in the state legislatures by persuading them to refer ratification to state conventions called for that purpose. The convention scenario also permitted the framers to circumvent the people, denying them a legislative role in the ratification process. So basically, once again, they took away our power as people so that they could protect slavery. So, bearing all that in mind, I'm going to take a super brief break and see if I can fix what's going on with my sound, and we'll be right back. Welcome to RevolutionBroadcasting.com, your only source for news, politics, talk radio, and more. We need your help. We are a user-donated site. We must continue to report news and information that the mainstream media will not report on. Please help us to keep up that fight and make your most generous donation today to www.revolutionbroadcasting.com. That is www.revolutionbroadcasting.com. Help us continue this information war and to educate people around the world on the truth of what's really going on around them and what we can do to stop them. Again, your support and your donations are always appreciated. Thank you. Yeah. Everybody talking about politicians, 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 nepotism, patriotism, jingoism, jingoism, phony patriotism, jingoism. Why won't you let me say what I want to say? Power to the people. Give peace a chance. Everybody 
You there, Jacob? Did you uh, get a chance to hear what I was saying, or did you miss it? Jacob? (laughs) Yeah, well, just more specifically on the the reasons why we don't have it and why the Constitution was the way it was. Can you hear me? Hello? Hello? Man, I don't know what the deal is, but uh, Skype has been bad to us as of late. Can you hear me? Jacob? Jacob? What? Here. That's kind of screwed up. All right, well, uh, I'll try to call you back. Yeah, sorry about this, guys. Unfortunately, we... uh, Free people basically is in putting on free shows or completely at the mercy of uh, um, situations like this where we have free stuff and uh, that free stuff doesn't always work so good. <laughs> so I'm going to try to call Jacob back with any luck we can fix that. But uh, in the meantime, um, so basically to add to my point, let's talk for a moment about the republic for which it stands. <laughs> and what it has managed to give us in its time. You know, there are more modern examples. Uh, We could be talking about the Patriot Act. We could be talking about the Iraq War, Uh, two things of which I would have to say the majority certainly does not agree with, the Iraq War especially. Uh, Ron Paul, our beloved Ron Paul, has quoted more than once that the war is not supported by the majority. In fact, 72 to 76 percent of the populace want us out of the war. So, bearing that in mind, um, I'm not really as afraid of the majority as I am of the minority, because the minority likes us right where we are. The minority will probably continue to keep this war going as long as possible, because too many special interests are making too much money to let us leave just yet. The only reason we got out of Vietnam <coughs> pardon me, is because somebody, you know, more specifically Senator Gravel, 
read an awful lot of top-secret documents in the public record that expose, expose just how much the government was lying to the people about Vietnam. We're never going to have another opportunity like that. It's extremely unlikely that anybody's ever going to really expose the truth behind the issues of the weapons of mass destruction. Although the majority of the people accept that you know, there's, um, there's no proof of the weapons of mass destruction, they've, they've accepted all of that. That doesn't change the fact that um, our representatives have decided that we're going to be here for good. And uh, you know, for 100 years, if necessary, and that, that's one of the powers that the republic, as in, here, let me look up the math again, the uh, 0.00001767% telling the 99.999% what to do. 100,000 of the population bought and paid for by special interests, including the military-industrial complex, want us to do. They want us to stay in Iraq because they like it. They like making large quantities of money with the blood of Iraqis and American soldiers. You know, why wouldn't they? It's absolutely in their best interest to continue to do that. So, kind of leaves you where we are now. Now, let's take a look back into history a little bit from the book Addicted to War by Joel Andreas. In Addicted to War, we talk about Something else that the elites and representative government brought us. Manifest destiny. The American revolutionaries who rose up against King George in 1776 spoke eloquently about the right of every nation to determine its own destiny. Unfortunately, after they won the right to determine their own destiny, they thought they should determine everyone else's too. The leaders of the newly independent colonies believed that they were preordained to rule all of North America. This was so obvious to them, they called it manifest destiny. We must march from ocean to ocean. It is the destiny of the white race. Representative Giles of Maryland. That's right. You just heard the words of Congressman Giles of Maryland, elected representative. This manifest destiny soon led to genocidal wars against the Native American peoples. The U.S. Army ruthlessly seized their land, driving them west and slaughtering those who resisted. During the century that followed the American Revolution, the Native American peoples were defeated one by one. Their lands were taken and they were confined to reservations. The number of dead has never been counted, but the tragedy did not end with the dead. The Native people's way of life was devastated. I can still see the butchered women and children lying heaped and scattered all along the crooked gulch as, a plain as, when, gulch as plain as when I saw them with eyes still young. And I can see that something else died there in the bloody mud and was buried in the blizzard. A people's dream died there. It was a beautiful dream. The nation's hoof is broken and scattered. Black Elk, spiritual leader of the Lakota people and survivor of the Wounded Knee Massacre in South Dakota. By 1848, the United States had seized nearly half of Mexico's territory. In Congress, the war against Mexico was justified with speeches about the glory of expanding Anglo-Saxon democracy. But in truth, it was the southern slave owners' thirst for land and the lure of western gold that inspired these speeches. Generally, General Zachary Taylor ordered scores of U.S. soldiers executed for refusing to fight in Mexico. Once again, brought to you by representative government to the benefit of the elites. There was a lot of money to be made in Mexico. There was a lot of money to be made on the land that the Indians at one time occupied. That money was then spent on the campaigns of congressmen and senators. Those congressmen and senators then created little beautiful things like the Indian Removal Act. The Indian Removal Act was put together by representative government. Its purpose was to allow the elites 
to use the United States Army to force peaceful people, and sometimes not peaceful people, not all Native Americans are innocent, but many peaceful people off their land. The Trail of Tears was part of this. The Cherokee Nation had civilized itself. It had its own constitution. It wanted peace with its neighbors. It really just wanted to be left alone, and they were by no means a threat to the United States. But some elites, some rich people, wanted what they had. So they paid people in Congress to take it, and they forced American citizens to do it for them. Let me read this again. General Zachary Taylor ordered scores of U.S. soldiers executed for refusing to fight in Mexico. This is, this is, in, our, this is in our nation, okay? That's the issue. With their domain now stretching from coast to coast, the Manifest Destiny crowd began to dream of an overseas empire. Economic factors drove these ambitions. Colonel Charles Denby, a railroad magnate, magnate and an ardent expansionist argued, our condition at home is forcing us to commercial expansion. Day by day, production is exceeding home consumption. We are after the markets, the greatest markets in the world. Does that sound familiar? Calls for empire were echoing through the halls of Washington. I firmly believe that when any territory I'm sorry, that when any territory outside the present territorial limits of the United States becomes necessary for our defense or essential for our commercial development, we ought to lose no time in acquiring it. Senator Orville Platt of Connecticut, 1894, an elected representative. To become a world power, the U.S. built a world-class navy. A gung-ho Theodore Roosevelt was put in charge of it. I should welcome almost any war, for I think the country needs one. Theodore Roosevelt, 1897. He didn't have long to wait. The next year, taking a fancy to several Spanish colonies, including Cuba and the Philippines, the U.S. declared war on Spain. Rebel armies were already fighting for independence in both, count, both countries, and Spain was on the verge of defeat. Washington declared that it was on the rebels' side, and Spain quickly capitulated. But the U.S. soon made it clear that it had no intention of leaving. The Philippines are ours forever. And just beyond the Philippines are China's limitable markets or illimitable markets. The Pacific is our ocean. Senator Albert Beveridge of Indiana, an elected representative. And for the senator, the Pacific was only the beginning. The power that rules the Pacific is the power that rules the world. That power is and forever will be the American Republic. Elaborate racist theories were invented to justify colonialism, and these theories were adopted enthusiastically in Washington. We are the ruling race of the world. We will not renounce our part in the mission of our race, trustee under God of the civilization of the world. He has marked us as his chosen people. He has made us adept in government that we may administer government among savage and senile peoples. Senator Albert Beveridge, again, an elected representative, speaking for us elected by no doubt the special interests of his time the railroad barons who wanted the land that the native americans lived on think about that representative government in our time has done little but serve elites and we have no recourse we can't stop them there's nothing we can do but sit here and watch as we live with this illusion, this matrix of freedom, we need to take the other pill. Because at this point, you know, we, we talk about this like the, like the dream was corrupted. The dream never was. 
That's what the real problem is. The dream never was. It was an illusion. The concept that everybody was equal in the United States never existed. But the, the Filipinos didn't share the views of Senator Beveridge and his buddies. They fought the new invaders just as they had fought the Spanish, the U.S. Uh, the Spanish. The U.S. subjugated the Philippines with brute force. U.S. soldiers were ordered to burn all and kill all, and they did. By the time the Filipinos were defeated, 600,000 had died. They have a picture here of U.S. soldiers standing on the bones of Filipinos who died in the war. This pile of bones is literally, I mean, I don't even know how much of it perhaps is missing from the picture, but there's like, it's about 30 feet high. It looks like a picture from the Holocaust, and that's actually what I thought I was looking at. The Philippines, Puerto Rico, and Guam were made into U.S. colonies in 1898. Cuba was formally given its independence, but along with it, the Cubans were given the Platt Amendment, which stipulated that the U.S. Navy would operate a base in Cuba forever, that the U.S. Marines would intervene at will, and that Washington would determine Cuba's foreign, Cuba's foreign and financial policies. Now, don't say I never gave you anything. <laughs> During the same period, the U.S. overthrew Hawaii's Queen Ligiokoniani, I can't say that, and transformed these unspoiled Pacific Islands into a U.S. Navy base surrounded by Dole and Del Monte plantations. In 1903, after Theodore Roosevelt became president, he sent gunboats to secure Panama's separation from Colombia. The Colombian government had refused Roosevelt terms for building a canal. If they won't sell it, I'll just take it. Then Uncle Sam began sending his Marines everywhere. The Marines went to China, Russia, North Africa, Mexico, Central America, and the Caribbean. From the halls of Montezuma to the shores of Tripoli. <laughs> Between 1898 and 1934, the Marines invaded Cuba four times, Nicaragua five times, Honduras seven times, the Dominican Republic four times, Haiti twice, Guatemala once, Panama twice, Mexico three times, and Colombia four times. In many countries, the Marines stayed on as an occupying army, sometimes for decades. Now, I'm going to ask you guys a question real quick for all of you who continue to believe that we can reform Congress. Who do you think exactly was making these orders in the first place? Obviously. Think about it for a moment. Elected representatives, paid for by capitalists, not all of them, just some of them, paid for by major corporations, do with our army whatever makes them money. Now, behind the Marines in all of these interventions came legions of U.S. business executives ready not only to sell their goods, but also to set up plantations, drill oil wells, and stake out mining claims. The Marines returned when called upon to enforce slave-like working conditions and put down strikes, protests, and rebellions. Accept responsibility for active intervention to secure, for our capitalists, opportunity for profitable investments. President William Howard Taft, 1910. A reporter described what took place after U.S. troops landed in Haiti in 1915 to put down a peasant rebellion. American Marines opened fire with machine guns from airplanes on defenseless Haitian villagers, killing men, women, and children in the open marketplaces for sport. 50,000 Haitians were killed. Once again, bought and paid for by special interests for the purpose of using our military for them to make money. 
This is the flaw. This is the reason why the Constitution alone is not enough. It's a good start. But the fact of the matter is, our representatives are owned, and they have been forever. And you see what they do. We are looking at a tiny minority of our representatives that actually represent us. The rest of them represent the military-industrial complex, the medical-industrial complex, the prison-industrial complex, however many complexes you want to see. The fact of the matter is, is this. When our government can be bought and paid for, because our media, as in our control of reality, essentially, is bought and paid for, our representative system cannot function. It's that simple. How can we be a place for free people where everybody is equal if we cannot truly elect real representatives? General Smedley Butler was one of the most celebrated leaders of these marine expeditions. After he retired, he reconsidered his career, describing it as follows. Pay very close attention, folks. I spent 33 years and four months in active military service, and during that period I spent most of my time as a high-class muscle man for big business, for Wall Street and the bankers. In short, I was a racketeer, a gangster for capitalism. Thus, I helped make Mexico and especially Tampico safe for American oil interests in 1914. I helped make Haiti and Cuba a decent place for the National City Bank boys to collect revenues in. I helped in the raping of half a dozen Central American republics for the benefit of Wall Street. I helped purify Nicaragua for the International Banking House of Brown Brothers in 1902 to 1912. I brought light to the Dominican Republic for American sugar interests sugar interest in 1916. I helped make Honduras right for the American fruit companies in 1903. In China, in 1927, I helped see to it that Standard Oil went on its way unmolested. Here they have a picture of a U.S. Marine officer with the head of Silvano Herrero, one of the leaders of Augusto Sandino's rebel army in Nicaragua, 1930. World War I was a horrific battle among the European colonial powers over how to divide up the world. When President Woodrow Wilson decided to enter the fray, he told the American people that he was sending troops to Europe to make the world safe for democracy. But what Wilson was really after was what he considered to be the United States' fair share of the spoils. Wilson's ambassador to England said rather forthrightly that the U.S. would declare war on Germany because it was the only way of maintaining our present preeminent trade status. Ambassador W.H. Page, 1917. For this, 130,274 U.S. soldiers were sent to their deaths to protect special interests overseas and the profits of the elites. Our boys were sent to off to die with beautiful ideals painted in front of them. No one told them that dollars and cents were the real reason they were marching off to kill and die. General Smedley Butler, 1934. World War I was supposed to be the war to end all wars. It wasn't. During World War II, millions of young Americans signed up to fight German fascism and Japanese imperialism, but the goals of the strategic planners in Washington were far less admirable. They had imperial ambitions of their own. In October 1940, as German and Japanese troops were marching in Europe and Asia, a group of prominent government officials, business executives, and bankers were convened by the U.S. State Department and the Council on Foreign Relations to discuss U.S. strategy. They were concerned with maintaining an Anglo-American sphere of influence that included the British Empire, the Far East, and the Western Hemisphere. They concluded that the country had to prepare for war and come, with, come up with an integrated policy to achieve military and economic supremacy for the United States. Okay, so let's take all of this together because I don't have as much time as I'd like. 
racism to justify war. Does that sound familiar to you? It sounds familiar to me. It sounds an awful lot like fascism, as practiced by one Adolf Hitler. The best way to keep the American people in the state that they are in is to ensure that we believe that we are free. It is an illusion. We are not free. It absolutely is not free. And the reason why, it's not just free about freedom. It's about free about dollars and cents. This is really where it, what it comes down to. This is really what it comes down to. If you are not willing to give money to elect congressmen and senators that in any way rivals the money that is spent by special interests, our republic will continue to be what it is, a corporate fascist state. Unless you can come up with the money to get people like Murray Sabrin in office, that will continue to be the state of this country. Period. And despite what one of my listeners would say, my history lessons are not biased. The fact of the matter is, we cannot deploy the military without the authority given by our elected representatives. The elected representatives then therefore turn around and they do exactly whatever the people who paid to get them in office tell them to. And in many cases, those things produce where we're at now. Now, everything I just told you is about the history. Okay, well, let's not talk about history anymore, Matt and Zilla. Let's talk about the present. And in the present, KBR and Halliburton make billions, billions in feeding our troops and clothing our troops and cleaning our troops' clothing. Mind you that they do a terrible job on all three. They make billions. Blackwater makes billions of our money. And the representatives are handing it to them. And there is nothing we can do about it. How does this have to do with democracy? Once again, Mazzilla, I'm going to clar clarify something for you. I am not talking about direct democracy. I am talking about adding a referendum system to our existing republic so that the people, when the people that we hire, the people that we pay to be our representatives do what they're doing now, which is to represent corporate elites and not the people that they can be held accountable. Not later, now. How many people have to die while we continue to quote-unquote try to repair this republic, a system that was designed to allow these people to maintain the power that they have right now? The only difference between this and the monarchy that we were in before is that now you can buy nobility. You can buy it. Honestly, I'm not really scared of the majority in comparison to the minority. Not even close. If you want proof, look to Switzerland. In Switzerland, when the military is deployed, the people have the ability to put forth a referendum to call their people back, to call back the soldiers. We don't have that right now. We don't. And as Ron Paul has proven, we absolutely will not, in our lifetime, most likely get anybody as president to deal with where we are. Nobody. We are achieving nothing. That is what we are achieving right now. I wish it wasn't true. 
I love Ron Paul. I love Mike Gravel. I love Dennis Kucinich. But the fact of the matter is, they either had to toe the line or be destroyed. And that's exactly what happened to all of them. Exactly. Honestly, you know, I hope that we can fix things in the future. But it certainly isn't going to happen if a few people arrogantly suppose that they can decide who is for freedom and who is not. If a few people decide for the rest of us who is allowed to be in this movement and who is not, then we are just as bad as the system that created the problem that we're in in the first place. Only certain people get to be for freedom. The rest of us, on the other hand, you don't belong here. All representative government has given us as, as of late has been socialism. Socialism comes from representative government. There are a hell of a lot of socialist voters in the United States, and we can continue to spin our wheels and pretend that someday we're going to elect a bunch of people that are going to turn off the socialist agenda. We can pretend. That's right. We can continue to argue in chat rooms and on small-time wave radio stations, but the fact of the matter is, is that the American people are addicted to socialism. They're addicted to socialism like a drug. It went from being something to enhance life, to enhance the experience of life, to becoming what it is now. Unfortunately, now it sustains life in the same way that hard drugs do. As long as it goes on, we can't just turn it off. I want to be able to turn it off. But if, especially in a system where the crackheads get to elect their drug dealers you're not going to be able to get rid of it. And anybody that you put forward with that as part of their agenda is not going to stand a chance when measured against the addicts that we have created with socialism. I don't like socialism. What I do recognize, however, is that it is essentially a health problem. In this instance, it is a problem for the, over the health of our country, over our republic, over our democracy, over our freedom. Socialism is like a disease. It is like a poison that we have been given. And you cannot cure the patient by cutting off their head. We need to acknowledge the fact that these people are real, that they need to be helped out of the funk that they're in, because they're not going to ever give us leaders who are going to fix the problems of socialism. It's not going to happen. And the leaders that we represent, that quote-unquote represent us now, are doing a great job of giving money to the medical-industrial complex. And that's where I think the biggest issue of socialism comes about, is that they want to give money to the medical-industrial complex. The medical-industrial complex likes welfare. The medical-industrial complex loves socialized health care. They'd love that. What? You mean I have guaranteed money from the taxpayers? Brilliant! Let's do that. That sounds great. Okay. So until you can convince the American people that they don't need it anymore, you're going to continue to get socialists, period. That's what we've been trying to tell you, Mentzilla. We don't. We don't. You, you keep saying that we push or are trying to push direct democracy, but we're not. My apologies to my blog talk listeners who don't know who Mentzilla is. But in any case... When it comes to war and foreign policy, I trust human beings to make those decisions a lot more than I trust people bought and paid for by special interests. When it comes to social programs, I also trust the people to figure out that those are not right for us a lot more than I do trust, say, 
the people who are bought and paid for by the medical industrial complex. Now, a lot of people are concerned about how lobbyists and corporate money would affect national referendums. I would point out one first thing, one thing first. It's a lot easier to elect a person who's lying to you than it is to vote for a stupid idea, okay? And some people are going to make mistakes. But when we make the mistakes, and we're in a position to fix the mistakes, then we'll do something about it. When Ray quoted the positive problem with Microvelt saying he didn't just want to educate people, what Ray, did, what Ray failed to listen to is that the majority of people sense that there's something wrong, but there's nothing they can do about it. I'm sorry to say this, Ray, but the majority of people are not as stupid as you think. We know we're being screwed. What are we going to do about it? They look at the truth. The reality of the situation is this. We are dreaming when we say that we're suddenly going to elect Ron Paul. We are dreaming when we're saying we could elect Mike Ravel. We are dreaming when we say that we could elect Dennis Kucinich. We are dreaming when we say that we could elect Chuck Baldwin. The reason why is because of the people that you're, ta that you're so concerned about protecting. Okay? And once again, it's not all of them. There are some rich people who are great. They're total philanthropists. They help people. You know, that, that's their right, and that's great. But the fact of the matter is, from the very beginning, from the very beginning. The system that we have now is designed to protect elites and to protect their interests and nobody else's, and more specifically to protect things like slavery. And now it exists to protect things like the Patriot Act. And now it exists to protect things like the war in Iraq, to protect the interests of companies like KBR, Halliburton, and any other company that is making money in Iraq or Afghanistan right now as we speak. It's frustrating to me sometimes that people can't put two and two together. Well, I'm going to go out on a song. Thank you all for listening to V Radio. I'm sorry that my co-host was having sound problems. And um, I hope you enjoyed my show. I'm looking forward to doing another one. Take care.
Jim Sickens.
What did you think of that show, Lynn? You seriously think so? You seriously think so? Would you like to run a business of your own? Yeah, and there's still like seven or eight piles of poop over there that you haven't cleaned up. We need to get a scoop for it or something so that we can just pick it up when she does it. Much easier that way. So, what was your favorite part of that show, Lynn?
say no? in that chat room or what? I didn't really see you comment very much, other than me being accused of being a communist. 